Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, and here with me in the studio, my friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Nate, good to be back. Good to be back, as always. Yeah. Glad to have you back safely home from your big weekend soccer trip. It was uh, it was nice. We went to Phoenix, and uh, I, I know some of you listening to the show are down there, Phoenix. Sorry we didn't have a chance to say hi. What's up, Phoenix? What's up, Phoenix? Phoenix. It, it was a great weekend. I, I was expecting the worst with Phoenix being super hot day and night. But, it's late um, enough in the year, right? It was it was raining. Oh, okay. Well, we we got some clouds. Too, it was a little bit cooler. It was uh, it was fairly pleasant weather for for soccer. Sweet. That's so. it's dope. It was a fun trip. It's uh, good to be back and safe, and good to be back doing another episode. Sweet. Let's do it. So this week we are talking about Doctrine and Covenants sections one eleven through one fourteen, and starting off, uh, we're going to go into some treasure hunting. We're going to talk about Thomas B. Marsh, some counsel that he gets from the Lord, and uh, a little bit about Isaiah, interpreting what Isaiah is saying, and finish up with some wise counsel about our importance in in the gospel. I'm ready. So one question that I've I've had for a while, it just that I want to answer, and, and I feel confident that we can provide a satisfactory answer to this question, is why is it that back in the day, people had such a hard time believing Joseph Smith when he said he saw God, and, and they didn't believe just about anything he said, but they had no doubt that he found gold plates. They, they, they had no doubt... That, that Joseph Smith had found gold plates, why is it they didn't question that? Why is it people were willing to hound him and follow him and, and search for the plates and dig about? Why did they have no problems believing that Joseph Smith had found gold when they doubted everything else that he had said? Have you ever, have you ever wondered that or thought about that? I guess I never, I never knew that people didn't doubt that he had found, found gold plates because there's definitely people now that doubt that. No, there's yeah, there's definitely people now. But back in the day, I, I mean, when he goes to retrieve the plates, there's people waiting for him, right? And he gets in a, a scuffle with them. Okay. And and not only that, but when they're relocating, right? And they and they search the wagon and they're searching for the grain, or they go break into the house and they ransack everything. Why would they? Why would they be searching his home? Why would they be searching the wagon? Why would they be constantly? chasing him down and looking for these plates if they didn't believe that he had them. It, it, it seems like that's one thing that they might not have doubted, even though they didn't believe anything else he said. So why is it they put so much weight in him having gold plates? It just seemed weird. And I think I think I have an answer to that, but let's before we get into that, Doctrine and Covenants 111 uh, the Lord says, I, the Lord your God, am not displeased with your coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. And so the journey that they're talking about, they're traveling to Salem, Massachusetts, and and the Lord says, I am not displeased, even though it, it's almost like a, 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 there's a lot of follies involved with this trip. And what is the follies involved with this trip? 
And I have um, a Doctrine and Covenants commentary written by Shodal, and in there he states that the folly would be going to preach the gospel to a people that aren't going to listen. That's the folly. If you're going to go preaching gospel and, and nobody cares, it's almost like a waste of time. And the Lord's saying, it's okay. I'm, I'm not displeased. It might seem like folly, but it's important that you do it anyways. That was the interpretation back then when he wrote his commentary. But I have to, I have to give props to the church. When you go into the Come Follow Me and you read the historical context, they've done such a great job providing historical context into these revelations and what was going on. Uh, the church shows us that the reason they were going to Salem, Massachusetts wasn't just so they could go preach the gospel to a people that weren't going to listen. It's because somebody told him that he knew there was a house there that was loaded up with with silver, or gold, or money. I, I I don't remember exactly what currency it was, but it was a if I remember right, a widow or someone who had a home that that she had a lot of money that was there, and now she's passed away, and the money is there waiting for somebody to go and claim it. So now Joseph Smith and company are headed with this guy who they trust to go find the treasure. And, and so you've got this little bit of a treasure seeking. And I know Joseph Smith gets kind of a bad rap as being a treasure seeker back in the day. And it seems like folly. The Lord here is calling it folly. Not, notwithstanding your follies and going and seeking after treasure and gold and whatnot, I still am not mad about you doing this. So why is it not such a bad thing that Joseph Smith is seeking after money? And, and that's going to hopefully spill into the answer of why do people not doubt Joseph Smith found gold? Why were they so eager to chase and find the plates that he had found? The time period here, 1830s, I, I, let's, let's take a look historically at the context. The golden age of pirates, 16... Let's see, 1650 to 1720. And, and the, the pirates are doing their thing. They're raiding, they're looting. You have pirates that work for the state, the privateers working for the English or the privateers working for the Spanish. And, and you had a pirate, um, uh, let's see, what's his name? William Kidd, the captain. He buries his treasure up in Maine. And, and so you've got all of this happening in the end of the 1600s, the beginning of the 1700s. And then towards the middle of the 1700s, the golden age of pirates is kind of waning to a close. They're no longer as intimidating or as as, as much as they used to be. Order and law and order on the seas is starting to, to prevail. And, and a lot of these pirates are dying off. And what are they leaving behind? Treasure. So in American history, from 1780 to 1830, that 50-year gap of time, a ton of people were looking for pirate treasure constantly. And they would dig as far in as, as 80 miles in off the coast, digging around, looking for buried treasure. It was something that was, I, I, would, would calling it a fad be appropriate? It was, sure. yeah, it, the thing of the time. And, and that's one of the fascinating things to me is that the Lord chooses a time period right after piracy when people are searching for buried treasure all over the world to, to reveal golden plates to a boy 
out of the ground. It it fits with the time. It's I don't know. It's it's kind of cool. So with that, I wanted to I wanted to share a, a story. Yeah, a little story time. I'm ready, dude. I love story time. Story time. It is. Dude, I should get some like production for story time. Yeah. Like when we're talking about like uh, we're bringing up like some ancient Greek stuff or whatever. I need I need like a cool like production bump. I'm not doing a very good job as a producer. I'm mostly just hanging out. <laughs> I'm going to do better when we get into the Old Testament. I'm going to have all of the drops ready. Get get your blankets, get your pillows, get your snacks. I'm going to get everything ready so that whenever you so that when we have some reoccurring themes, I'll be ready for it next time. All right. 1804. So this is actually the year that Joseph Smith is born. In 1804, Daniel Lambert's neighbors in the rural town of Canaan, Maine, of the upper Kennebec River Valley were impressed by his apparent new wealth. According to the traveler, Edward Augustus Kendall Lambert, excuse me, according to the traveler Edward Augustus Kendall, Lambert, like most of his neighbors, had been a poor farmer and logger. In a very abject condition of life, so it attracted intense and widespread interest when Lambert and his two grown sons suddenly appeared in public mounted on good horses and wearing expensive clothes. Twin marks of successful gentlemen. They ceased working on their homestead and idled their days away in the taverns of Canaan and adjoining Norwich Walk. Daniel Lambert added immeasurably to his local popularity by buying round after round for his neighbors who gathered there to drink and gape at his fine apparel. He increased their consternation by ostentatiously... uh, ostentatiously? Lighting his pipe with burning banknotes. No way. Yeah. Yeah. What a... So so he shows up in fine clothes, riding nice horses, spends all of his day in the taverns, buys drinks regularly for anyone that's around, and lights his pipe with banknotes. Lacking any other apparent explanation, his neighbors attributed Daniel Lambert's sudden wealth to the discovery of buried pirate treasure. Of course. Despite Canaan's location, dozens of miles from navigation, the inhabitants readily believed that Lambert had found treasure chests because, as Kendall explained, the settlers of Maine, like all other settlers in New England, indulge an unconquerable expectation of finding money buried in the earth. That was the expectation of the time. Hmm. Um, Let's see. Indeed, backcountry folk insisted that troves of pirate treasure, guarded by evil spirits, pockmarked the New England countryside, even in locales far from the coast. Daniel Lambert's reputed occult skills in handling divining rods further encouraged his neighbors' suspicions. Initially, the Lamberts remained guardedly mum, but in time, hints of discovered treasure escaped from Daniel's lips. He needed to say no more, for rapid word of mouth fleshed out the remaining details. Lambert was pronounced to be one of those fortunate persons who, born under a certain planetary planetary aspect, are endowed with various and extraordinary powers. And he was soon found to possess enchanted mineral rods, through which had been grown in the mystic form and had been cut at the proper age of the moon." Soon, nothing was talked of but Lambert and his gold, and every day gave birth to new histories of the chest that had been found and its immeasurable contents. 
Lambert confirmed the reports by publicly demonstrating his divining ability to locate a gold coin buried in a test field. Lambert's apparent good fortunes inspired his neighbors' fervent hopes of discovering and intense efforts to secure their own treasure chests. Kendall quoted an eyewitness in the intense excitement, quote, All hands are digging in search of money to the neglect of tilling their lands and securing their crops. Days and nights are spent by many persons in digging up old swamps and deserts, 60 and 70 and 80 miles from navigation. Lambert encouraged this emulation by assisting several digging parties. In 1851, John W. Hansen recalled, Gradually, he inoculated the entire population of the Kennebec Valley with a treasure-seeking mania. And people in all conditions of life were found digging from Anson to Seguin and all along the coast, even to Rhode Island. Hansen concluded, The excitement so universal and intense can hardly be realized at the present day. It ended in June 1804 when Lambert's sudden disappearance revealed that he had discovered no chest, but had led his neighbors on in order to obtain their livestock on undeserved credit. Mm, got him. <laughs> but that, I don't, I don't know. For me, it's fascinating. We, we take Joseph Smith's story and, and we try to put it in terms of today's world, what we're, what we're experiencing or what we think. And, and we fail to put it in context with what was really happening in the world then. We fail to remember that, that, that less than 100 years ago, the pirate golden age was going on. And that treasure-seeking was a mania, a huge thing happening in America at this place, at this time, and that Joseph Smith is a product of his times. And, and that things, you know, the, the divining rods and, and all of these different instruments and, and methodologies are being invented and coming about this time period. And uh, the, who, who is it that wrote it? Um, Robert Louis Stevenson, do I, do I have that right? Treasure uh, Island. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. 1880, right? And he bases his story on Treasure Island on earlier books and stories that are written about pirates and treasures dating back to 1824. So this is this is that time period, which is which is kind of cool. And that's only part of the context. That's only part of the story. And and I I want to take that part of the story and look at this this guy that had fooled everybody. And, and I almost see today modern treasure hunting a little bit differently. And, and maybe this is an unfair pot shot on my part. I, I don't know. I'm ready. Hold on. This is, what, this is another time I need that bump of like, here we go. Like when it's clearly like, here we go. Buckle up. Buckle up. What do we got? I, I think today... God says man are man is that that man might have joy and he wants us to be happy. Uh, but so many times we try to find that happiness somewhere else. It, it, we've talked about this in previous ap, uh, episodes when we were talking about finding a shortcut. Uh, Adam and Eve, right? What, what what would have happened had that played out differently or is is the sin there just not being willing to wait on the Lord to find out how that was going to play out? We try to find the shortcut. And, and what I'm talking about here as I look at this modern version of treasure hunting is the get-rich-quick schemes 
that you can just go and, and, and you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. You can just get rich now. And not only to get rich quick in, in a financial sense, but in emotional happiness or state, these, these self-help books, if you will, or self-help, and, and maybe they have their place and maybe I'm being a little bit unfair, but in, in my point of view, it almost feels like it's not so much about self-help. The person who's writing it is actually trying to help anyone but themselves. Like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's what everybody else needs to do. And the way in which they're helping themselves is everybody paying them for that advice on how to fix their lives. And, and everyone's trying to chase for that silver bullet or that magic whatever, that treasure, that, that chest that's going to bring them happiness or joy outside of the ways that the Lord has already lined up or that science or medical professionals, that whatever the case may be. I mean, I don't know. How, how far do I want to go down this road? But there's a, there's a ton of stuff like that. I don't think it's even just self-help stuff because like anytime you jump on YouTube, it's like, I'm going to teach you how to start your YouTube business that's going to make you a millionaire within the first year. Or like, uh, I'm going to teach you all of the secrets of my investing tools and techniques. Like, all you got to do is subscribe to this thing and pay me X amount of money. You know what I mean? Trump like, University like, or? I, I, anything. I'm just, it's <laughs> like, I, I I see what you're saying and I I feel like I, I completely accept the point that you're making, which is, which is at any given time, there is always the appeal of the shortcut, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to teach you the secrets of how to day trade in this thing and, and whatever or whatever it is, right? And again, the thing is, is truth of the matter is, is there is money to be made in all of these other types of things and stuff. But the way that it's sold to you is like, oh, it's basically free money, man. It's basically all you got to do is just like listen to what I tell you to do and if you do that and pay me some money, I'm going to make you a bunch of money. And you're just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to, to take it full circle, it's not, it's not that it's a waste of time. I mean, the, the Lord here tells Joseph Smith, notwithstanding your follies, I am, I am not displeased with your coming on this journey. And I think the same thing, like maybe maybe we go down that journey, maybe we go down that rabbit hole, and maybe we come to find out in the end that the guy that was selling us this bill of goods ended up being not who we thought they were, or that the whatever they were selling wasn't what we thought it was. It's not that it was a waste of time because now you've gained experience or now you've sure. learned something or now you've come away. So I don't I don't want to be overly harsh, but I do want to say yeah, don't don't take shortcuts. I, I mean, there are there are smart things to do, and there are ways to do it. But if you're trying to get rich quick, or trying to find a way to to lose weight overnight, or be happy all of a sudden, and it doesn't involve the the the, the hard work or the steps or or a fair way to get it, is it even worth it when you reach it, reach it at the end? Because part of the value in it is is the price that you paid to get there, the work that it took to get you to that point. I think that. What you're saying is perfectly, like, I, I think how you're saying it, too, is perfectly stated, and therefore I just want to reinforce that what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, anything that is worth something in the long run requires work and sacrifice. Yeah. And and by the way, like, dude, I'm trying to learn how to be better about investing money in, in various things and in real estate and in stocks and things like that. And there is some really healthy failing 
and learning that comes along with that too, right? Absolutely. So I, I think that I just want to make sure to like, I, I just want to make sure that our our point, because I agree with you, is is super clear, which is there is a lot of really great information and things that can be gained by learning how to better yourself, right? Absolutely. But the thing is, like, I, I do know that, unfortunately, there is kind of a culture, and you see it on, like, the Instagram posts that, that some accounts will post every day, that it's, like, the inspirational thought and the, and the self-help thing, and it's like, oh, man, like, it, it, I'm more worried that your life is a mess if this, is, if this has consumed all of your, you know what I mean? Like, your whole persona, like how about I take you out to lunch and we just talk because like this is, it, there's a difference between posting things that sound good as like an Instagram re, you know, repost and then things that are like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm with you. It's like, it's, I just, I get a nervous sometimes that some people spend their entire life reading the self-help book instead of just actually like doing proven things to just feel better or help themselves, you know, be happier or whatever that is, right? And that you can sometimes almost rely on those things or, or look to those things to find answers where so much of the answers can actually be found by like, go to bed on time and eat healthier and surround yourself with supportive people and eliminate people in your life that are a drag, you know? Like, I, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, whatever. I, I Again, like, I'm with you. I don't think that the, I don't think that there is no value to those things, but I think that what we're saying is is that that sometimes we get so caught up in all of the gazillion ways that this person thinks that you can be a better parent or a better spouse or just a better person or whatever, and 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 you can you can kind of like strangely get I don't know caught up in a lot of noise and. I think that that's where it can kind of become dangerous is when is when you're looking for the shortcuts when it's like, no, oh, and by the way, being happy is not always the easiest thing to do in the entire world, no matter how much a book can give you the list of 10 things that are guaranteed to make you happier, right? Like, those things are hard to do. Anything that's worth something in the long run requires sacrifice and work. That's it. That's, Absolutely. I think, I think is, did, is that fair? Yeah, and and I'm glad that you brought up the point of even Instagram. You mentioned as you were you were talking about that because because looking at this guy who deceived everyone into thinking that he was rich when he hadn't found treasure at all, he was just borrowing from people on the perception that he was rich. How how many times on social media do we create this perception of happiness of of well being of hey I'm on this vacation and and you are always posting your 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 best self you're always posting yes. everything that's that's you know great and wonderful about life and and I almost want to say and and I don't want to be I I know this is a generalization I don't want to say this is the case with everybody but I, but I want to say sometimes we might make a correlation with with what this guy did here in the 1800s with an influencer that is trying to put a message out there that just is say trying it. It's Tony to Robbins. A... Just say it. I'll say it. It's Tony Robbins. Okay. Now, now keep going. I wasn't even thinking. Oh, Tony I will. Robbins. I'll say it. I'm not scared. But, but I think these influencers who are always trying to to touch up the photos or make themselves look more beautiful are trying to do something and and 
trick people into thinking that they are happier, yes. more successful, yes. or doing better. And then to come to find out, it's just an empty shell that they sold you on. Or they post these like nonsense quotes that, again, like might look good on an Instagram header for a minute. But then when you actually stop to think about it, you're like, that doesn't even mean anything. That's that's nonsense. Tony Robbins. And and if you get caught up in this, don't 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 feel bad. You're not in bad company. Uh, look, here we are, Joseph Smith and company heading to Salem, Massachusetts to find money. And and why is it that Joseph bought this hook line and sinker? Why was he so desperate that he was treasure hunting in Massachusetts with with church members there trying to find money that, that they didn't earn. I mean, this is absolutely a shortcut, right? Sure, because it's human nature and because maybe they needed money too. I don't know. Like, why do we Why do we jump on every pyramid scheme that comes along, right? Because all of us still get that little hint of excitement when it's like, oh man, we could really use some extra cash. Man, this seems like a pretty sweet way to get it. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, and, and I don't think it helps when you see the, the story in the New Testament when, when they're saying, hey, we need to pay. What well, I, I got to remember the, the, the details on this. When they're asking him to pay the, the tax or whatever, the foreigner's tax. Yeah. And, and he says, okay, if, if we need to pay this tax, we, we need to pay the tax. Go find this fish, and in the fish you'll find a coin, and then go pay the tax. Yeah. Right? So you've got stories of God providing money that they didn't necessarily earn or have on hand in order to take care of their needs. And it doesn't help that not too long ago he translates the Book of Mormon, and in the middle of this fever of of people looking for treasure, what does it say in the Book of Mormon? That the ancient inhabitants, who by the way they believed lived in the same areas that they were living, buried. Oh, yeah buried all their treasure so that people wouldn't find it, and then the ground was cursed so that they so could they never find, find it, it again, again, right? So he's thinking all of this treasure is there for the taking, almost like like Nephi going back to get these plates, right? There, there's Maybe God has provided a way. What? Why does he need deliverance so bad? This is where I think context helps the discussion so much. We, we've looked at we've looked at the piracy. We've looked at this mania going on of finding gold. But here's the other context of what's going on with Joseph Smith. They had they had created the United Firm, which we know now today as the United Order. But but back then the United Firm was the idea that the church had a couple of businesses that were going to support them financially. They they had a mercantile in in Nauvoo or not Nauvoo, they had one in Kirtland, excuse me, and then they had, uh, over in Missouri, they had a print shop, and they had another store, right? So these three businesses were the anchor for the church's financial means. And what did the church need finances for? Well, God commanded them to build a temple. So they take out a loan to buy this property, and to get all the billing materials and to build this house in their poverty. So the church is saddled with debt, but it's okay because they've got these three businesses, right? No. What happened to those businesses? In in Missouri, the yeah, press was say, destroyed. They got they got they got trashed and burnt or whatever, right? Yeah. How much did it cost to buy a press and to put this building together and to start this business? Huge investment. And, and where's their return on that investment? And then the store, 
they raided the store, broke the doors down, stole all the goods, and and ran the store out of business. So not only are you paying for the building and the lot, but you just lost your entire inventory that you bought, not with the money that you got from selling it, because now you'll never sell it. You you've you've gone in debt. It, it, just like Joseph Smith's dad, who had bought a huge load of ginseng. That's right. And, and went to go trade it, and the guy stole his whole load, and then he loses his business, loses his stores, spends everything he has just to finally lease a farm, and, and kind of in debt the rest of his life. This is what happened to the church. They're in debt with the temple, they're in debt with the press and the store and all of their inventory and stock. There is some serious financial concerns that Joseph Smith, as leader and head of the church, is terrified about. So tell me, if you're in that position at that time period, and this is going around and somebody comes to you and says, hey, there is a house that nobody knows about loaded up with money, and by the way, that money is enough to pay for the store that you lost, enough to pay for the temple that God gave you, and and you as prophet are thinking, what, what, you know, here I am at this place at this time with this guy telling me this information that nobody else knows. It's got to be God sent. I'm going to go get these plates. And just like Nephi, <coughs> you can think of Nephi who said, we left all of our gold and our silver and our precious things behind. Why did we leave them behind if it wasn't to go and buy these plates? This is what God wants us to do. Let's go and get it. It's going to work out. It's going to take care of itself. And so we think this is the answer. We think this is the solution. And God encourages us to to think for ourselves. He encourages us to find solutions. He encourages us to be active. So looking at the context, I'm I'm not so quick to be critical of 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 Joseph Smith, nor am I nor am I sure I would do anything different in totally. this situation than, than what he did. Do you, we still do it now, is all I'm saying. Absolutely. We, t- we still do it now, even if it's wrapped up in something, you know what I mean? Like you said, just if, if it's packaged different, we totally do it. We still all do it. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, why? Because we all could use some extra cash, and we all don't have an, a necessarily a ton of time to go and... You know what I mean? Like, put we it in all the of the we hard work. The to, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I'm totally with you. And I, I think that, again, like, there's there's two great lessons here. One, things rarely, where if ever, come easy or without a lot of work and sacrifice. And two, yeah, that's human nature, like we said. And, and I'm glad you put it that it's like, God can kind of laugh and shake his head and be like, well, at some point maybe you'll learn, but maybe this is just part of the flaw of humanity. But I still love you and you're good. Yeah. And and the Lord, I, he follows it up here with a couple of verses that, that, that kind of just validate what he's doing, what he's experiencing, and tells him, don't worry about it. He says in verse 4, And it shall come to pass in due time that I will give this city unto your hands, that you shall have power over it, insomuch that they shall not discover your secret parts, and its wealth pertaining to gold and silver shall be yours. So he's looking for financial means. And, and the Lord makes an interesting promise here when he says, They shall not discover your secret parts. And this is something that we have seen 
in scriptures over and over again, and I think the meaning is a little bit lost, but I think we've talked about this. When they're talking about Zion as a, as a daughter being embarrassed that her secret parts are discovered, she's sitting naked, uh, versus when the restoration happens, she puts on her garments and she is clothed. And we talked about this in context of the Garden of Eden. When they sin, they become naked, and it's embarrassing. They don't want the Lord to discover their secret parts, so they try to cover themselves. And the Lord's form of atonement is to cover it, to to to, to atone, cover their nakedness with coats of skin. And the Lord is saying, they will not discover your naked parts or your secret parts. I will cover for you. I will clothe you. You were looking for gold and silver. You are worried about it. You are worried about redeeming Zion. These things are good worries, but don't don't worry so much about that. Worry about some of the other things that you need to, and let me take care of that for you. And the silver and the gold will be yours, and the city will be yours. Now look at it today. Back then in Joseph Smith's time, it probably would have been hard to imagine this, but today we have the blessing of hindsight and and to see where we've come and where we're at. Does the, does the church need to beg, borrow, or steal to pay any of its debts today? And how financially secure is the church today? And how has the Lord guided the church and blessed its path to a point where we are very financially stable? Yes. And Zion, we talk about redeeming Zion. Zion is not just one city anymore. You look at Zion spread across the entire world. What is independence compared to the Zion that is today, this global society, this church that that has grown and filled the earth and continues to grow? And, And he was worried about this little city, but that little city is nothing compared to the global Zion that exists today. But again, to be fair, like it's hard to not ever see past your current problems, right? Or or, yes. or, or situation, you know. And I'm just saying, I'm just adding. You're totally right that perspective in the long run would make you go, "Oh, that's that's not a problem at all," right? I mean, it would make us do that with most of our problems. But as somebody that is self-employed, I can tell you that there are times when. The next month is coming up and you're like, I haven't had a paying, you know, like a paycheck in a while because I'm finishing things more than I'm starting new things. And there is definitely some sleepless nights where it's like your present problems are the only thing like they're consuming. Right. Yes. And so I also again, it's another one of those things where I'm like, yeah, there are definitely times where I completely sympathize with the idea of, hey, here's a quick way to get some money. I'd be like, sweet. You mean I can pay all my bills next month without having to lose an entire week's worth of sleep? Like, I'm in, right? Like, that's a real thing. And, by the way, every single time you step back, now that I've been self-employed, what, for 10 years or, or close to, right? If you look at the big picture of the last decade, you go, oh, yeah, man, what are you stressing out about? Like, it's 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 going to work out. It continues to work out, right? So, again, perspective, it's a lot easier to see those things from – uh, two two or three miles above earth, right? But when you're down in the dirt and the mud, it's like, it's consuming. It's hard to see past that. So again, I also get it at the time, right? If the debt's like piling up and you're looking at this, it's like, you're not thinking about, well, in a couple hundred years, we're going to have a billion dollars. I could tell you stories of the stupid things I did in college for money. I I mean, I, I, I got 20 bucks for doing the cinnamon challenge. 
and I put that spoonful of cinnamon in my mouth, and I swear that stuff was coming out of my ears and coming out of my nose, and I thought I was going to die. But I did not open my mouth, and I and I swallowed it, and I got $20. And I would never do that again, and I don't know why I'm even mentioning this. But you, you, you get these points in your life when when you're right. It, it, it doesn't seem like a little thing. It seems like the biggest thing in the world. And there was a conference talk not too many years ago. Maybe you remember exactly who, who, who said it, where you take a pebble up off the, uh, off the beach and, and bring it up to your eye, and all of a sudden it fills your entire view, and that's all you can see and that's all you can focus yes. on. But if you were to move that pebble back, it's, it's just a matter of, of perspective. Yep. I used to tell my high school kids all the time, like, if you, if you just put your hand up in front of your face, it's the only thing you can see, and it's the end of the world, right? You scoot it, like you just said, you scoot it back, and you're just like, oh, wait, there's an entire universe around me, and my hand floating out here is the most insignificant little thing, right? But it's again, true. But it- again, at the time... I totally sympathize with people that are like consumed by the present issues, you know. And and it, it, it I'm glad you mentioned high school because it's something that is so significant at any stage in our life. I mean, when you're a little kid and your mom says you can't have that cookie, like your whole life has ended. Everything revolved around you having that versus high school when all of a sudden it, is is life worth living anymore if you if you don't have that crush or yeah, if something if embarrassing happens with- or right versus newlyweds and trying to figure things out and financially trying to get through school or finding your first job where you're getting paid pennies and the housing market's so expensive you don't feel like you can ever afford a home and how do you get through those moments how how have you gotten through it i mean Nate you brought self-employment up this is something that's been real for you and your family what gets you through those moments it's funny because it is it is perspective but not in the way that i think sometimes people expect it to be right like i i do i i know that there's this idea that it's like hey man whenever problems come up like just have some perspective it's just like what no that's not how it works like when problems arise it's the only thing you can freaking see no it's not as easy as having perspective at the time right yeah but what is what is helpful though is is to just look back and go, what are the proven ways that I have been able to figure out how to overcome this challenge, right? And so, yes, it's it's perspective, but it's usually not in the moment, right? It's usually having these discussions right now so that I will be prepared for Christmas time, which is my least favorite time of the year because I'm doing the least amount of work because everybody else is wanting to save up all their money for Christmas and not work on their record, right? So it's when I have the least amount of work and I'm self-employed and spending the most amount of money recklessly, <laughs> right? And so part of it is not necessarily perspective in the moment to be so zen that you can be like, oh, it's okay, it'll all work out. But instead going right now when things are fine and things are good going, okay, hey, how can I how can I prepare so that I don't have to stress out, so that if things kind of do get sketchy, I can remember. You know what I mean? It's 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 a lot of that as preparation and and perspective looking back and not trying to necessarily be able to look past current issues. Which by the way, certain amounts of like fear and anxiety aren't the worst thing in the entire world, right? 
especially if it motivates you to go do something. Like hunger is the greatest motivator in the entire world, right? Or the hunger of the people that you're responsible for. It inspires you to go do great things, right? And one thing that I have been blessed with innately is um, a desire not to be hungry ever that has, that has luckily helped me learn how to just hustle and not get comfortable. But again, to answer the question though, it's I, I feel like it is perspective, but not in the way that everybody expects like this kumbaya, like, man, whenever you have a problem, like, don't even worry about it. It's like, nah, that doesn't work. No, that it doesn't, doesn't work for anybody. It doesn't. So instead, go okay. Maybe accept it. For me, for me, I mean, I I have simple tricks like write a list of the things that you need to do tomorrow so that you can go to sleep. Right? Like all of the things that are on your mind, just write it down real quick in your phone or on a notepad. Put it off to the side. Okay, because it'll be there in the morning, and then you can stress about it when you can actually do something about it. Right? But again, it's funny because usually even then in the morning you go, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. You know. And so, I don't know. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think a lot of times, sometimes, well, a lot of times our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses or our biggest weaknesses are our biggest strengths. And as you mentioned, that hunger, that need, that motivation, or even the anxiety and the stress that you feel, how do you respond to it and what do you do with it? Because if that's what's motivating you to, to put in the hard work, to make those changes, to not take the shortcut, then in the end, it's going to pay off. In the end, you're going to be better because of it. But if it's paralyzing you and keeping you from moving anything because you can't stop focusing on it, you've got to find a way to make those weaknesses work for you, not against you. And, and those can be some of the best strengths that God has blessed you with yes. to make it work for you in the end. And God finishes up this chapter, this section, I should say, giving them some excellent advice. And verse 11, Therefore, be ye as wise as serpents, and yet without sin. And I will order all things for your good, as fast as you're able to receive them. So he's saying, don't, you know, yeah, you went there, that's fine. Be wise. Be wise. Be able to look through some of the things that are that are that are false. Be able to understand it. Be able to learn from this experience. And there is more treasure than one. You came here looking for X and thinking that's where your treasure lied and being able to redeem Zion. Guess what? I have Y here waiting for you. You're going to find people. You're going to be blessing their lives. You're going to be making a difference. And you're going to you're going to find something you didn't even know you were looking for. That by the way is of more value than the treasure that you first sought out after. I'm going to take care of Zion. I'm going to take care of your financial needs, but you're going to be taking care of this person who was waiting for you. You're going to be taking care of this need that you didn't know you had. Be wise, and these are going to work out for you, and you're going to be better off because of it. Love it. Kind of kind of interesting that he would make that reference to serpents, though. I mean, in, in Genesis, it says the serpent was the most wise of all, right? More subtle than any other beast. Yes. And he says, I want you to be as wise as the serpent, yet without sin. And and maybe there's some wisdom in what the serpent was trying to do. Because maybe ultimately he saw yeah, I mean, God's plan was 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 in the works. But anyways, neither here nor there. Let's go to Doctrine and Covenants section one twelve now. This is counsel given to Thomas Marsh. And uh I'm just gonna read a few things in here. Verse 10. 
Be thou humble, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by thy hand and give the answer to thy prayers. And and I, th- I believe that's a, a hymn, right? Be thou humble. Kind it is. From the scripture. Yeah, that's it is. Be thou humble. I know thy heart and have heard thy prayers concerning thy brethren. Be not partial towards them in love above many others, but let thy love be for them as for thyself, and let thy love abound unto all men and unto all who have thy na- uh, who love thy name. And pray for thy brethren of the twelve. Admonish them sharply for my name's sake, and let them be admonished for all their sins, and be faithful before me in my name. So pretty good counsel to uh, Brother Marsh there, president of the Quorum of the Twelve at the time. And if Joseph Smith had died at this point, he would have been the, the next prophet of the church and, until things didn't quite work out for him. Um, he, I guess, wasn't humble in the end, but that was good counsel that could have helped him had he been. Something else I want to come in on this is uh, this, this prophecy, if you will. Verse 23, Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness, darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation, and as a whirlwind it shall come upon the face of the earth, saith the Lord, and upon my house shall it begin." And from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Therefore see to it that you trouble not yourselves concerning the affairs of my church in this place, saith the Lord. Where is all of these destructions and terrible things going to start? It's going to start in his house. Cleansing the inner vessel. Cleansing the inner vessel. And and the uh, which temple was it? Started on fire. Kirtland Temple? Yeah. Burned down, or was it the Nauvoo? Wait. No, no, the Kirtland Temple. Wait. One it was of them the Nauvoo, just got, right? Yeah, it was Nauvoo, because the Kirtland Temple basically just got... Um, Repoed, didn't it? Or like, uh, yeah, the other church kind of took possession of it. Yeah, possession of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nauvoo, Nauvoo got got destroyed. One of the two did. All I know is that the Logan Temple was the fourth temple constructed (laughs) after the Saint George Temple. Glad you know that. the The saints went through a lot of persecution, but there's okay. So I don't mean to stop, but there's symbolism in that too, though, right? Uh huh. That again, like there, that that God will purify his people before he goes out and I mean you see it throughout the Book of Mormon I even the uh Moroni yeah the letter to Pehoran mm-hmm. was just like hey man <laughs> like which by the way uh it's a good lesson I actually learned from my dad like I read I read that story different because he was like oh man Pehoran's the the man he's like he 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 gets this letter basically um, from Captain Moroni, right, saying, hey, I'm coming through. If you don't give me the support we need from, like, the political side of this, I'm coming in to cleanse the inner vessel. I'm coming in to wipe out the city, including you. And Pehoran is, like, calm enough to be able to be like, listen, man, 
I'm working on my own thing over here. I I have enough troubles. I'm with you. Like, like trust me. I wish I could help you more, but we have an uprising here. Whatever it is in the city, right? Uh-huh. So instead of instead of just blowing up Captain Ronnie, he was like, "God be with you, brother." But thanks for that lesson, or thanks for that letter that threatened to kill me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but thanks for that. I, I I'm glad. It's like he was like kind of the ultimate politician, right? The ultimate diplomat. Like, I love your passion. Like he was able to kind of channel turn, that for he was kind of in a weird sort of way able to like channel that. But but I, what I'm saying is the Br- point, anyways. Bruce I, Lee, be the water, be the water, dude. Um, but the point is, I mean, even even the the ships. There's the the idea that it had the hole in the top and in the bottom, so that people could have a place to go to the bathroom while they were on the boats floating across the ocean, right? Like there was a there was ways to cleanse the inner vessel. Before the outer vessel, I guess. Yeah. So there's a lot of symbolism even in that, right? Like again, nobody wants to see nobody wants to see a temple burned down, but then when you read it in context of the scripture you just read, that's a very common theme. It is. And and I think people have latched on to this scripture to say in the last days you're going to see some massive destruction start in Utah, and then it's going to spread out to the whole world. And perhaps that's the case. When I look at it, though, and I and I consider it was the Nauvoo Temple, four years within its dedication, it burned down to the ground. And you think of what energy and, and work the saints put into building these temples and the persecution that was chasing them out that they had to go out to Utah before you know they a lot some of them weren't able to get their temple work done and had to wait years and years and and to have what they went through you know you've got you've got Hans Mill you've got Jackson County Missouri getting pushed out you've got the things that were happening Nauvoo you've got ultimately them crossing the plains and coming to Utah they were scourged. They were destroyed. They did have property destroyed. You look at Joseph Smith with the press going going away and, and the store being destroyed. And then you look at the bank and how that failed. And then you look at the people that that were tried, Zion's camp and those that left because of what happened afterwards with the bank. These guys, if anything, suffered first. And when they were done, and you get this refining fire of, of saints and this foundation, just like the, the Salt Lake Temple, that the foundation wasn't ready and they had to unbury it and tear it all out and do it all over again. And you get to this 40 years of the wilderness or whatever the case to, to get to this new people that are ready. And then what happens? From there, it spreads to where they lived, this massive civil war. And then that breaks out to a world war that envelops the whole world. And then all of these revolutions that are happening for independence all over the world and a second world war and a cold war and the, the whole world is just changing. I I look at it and I see prophecy fulfilled. And maybe there is dual fulfillment and maybe we are waiting for a future time when it happens a second time around. But I can't help but look back and again, hindsight being twenty twenty, and just see how how true it was that everything the Lord said is happening just as it seems like it said. Hmm. I like the I like the the culture around or the or the idea just culturally around cleansing the inner vessel always feels like it's gonna it's it's the the terrible things are gonna happen to us first, right? But it's interesting because I like think about it and you go 
okay, yes, cleansing a wound can can be painful. You know what I mean? And necessary, right? Like, because you don't want it to get infected. You don't want it to fester. So it's like, like you, again, you cut your lip open and it has a bunch of gravel and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you got to take that wire brush. And you you know what I mean? At the hospital, they it's like, yeah, because we don't want this to get infected and be worse before you can put stitches in it, right? So I do get the idea that like cleansing in that way can be a painful thing. but But there is like something that is, that's also so amazing about that right about becoming clean and losing the weight of dirt or you know what i mean like it's like there's also just nothing better than like an amazing shower after you've been up in the mountains for a week you know what i mean yes and and you're washing off kind of that dirt and stuff like that so i i think that it's it's sometimes easy to only look at that those prophecies as like these terrible things are going to happen right but the thing is, is that there's also ways that you can purify things without having with to the, go through yeah, the fire. Yeah, without having to necessarily have it be a terrible thing. And therefore, like, why on earth would we not think that that prophecy is already being fulfilled, right? Like, like is the Lord not currently cleansing the inner vessel? You know what I mean? And and even at the time, was was not God giving the saints... Trials, yes, to help purify them, but also an abundance of blessings that nobody else on earth was receiving at the same time as well, right? To yes. cleanse them. And again, the te- the temple ceremony, when we're cleaned, that's not a painful process. That's a preparatory process. It's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful process. And so I guess I just wonder, like, if we just need to make sure that we also keep perspective on when you see these prophecies of the cleansing of the inner vessel that can be an amazing release of stress and of weight and of and you know what i mean and not just like well i guess we're just going to have to go through a bunch of pain for forever and that makes us righteous it's like no 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 there are some painful like we talked about earlier there is sacrifice that's required there is pain that is required but it's not just we're just out here begging for misery, right? Yes. That's not the only way that God cleanses his people or the earth, you know? Yes, fire cleanses, but guess what? So does rain. Anyway. Excellent point. And the the idea of before you pull the the moat out of someone else's eye take the beam out of your own right or or even trying to help somebody the, one of the first things they teach you in in life saving in, in a swimming instance is if you can save somebody by not getting in the water by by extending totally. a rope yes. or a pole that's the best way to do it rather than jumping in with them and exposing yourself and yes, yes putting yourself at risk and drowning how do you financially bless the poor if you don't have financial means to where you can bless the poor. And this idea of taking care of that beam in your own eye, what can you do, not necessarily whipping yourself on the back or going through this painful process, but as but as you said, taking a shower or refreshing yourself in a positive way. How can you prepare yourself to be able to serve and be on solid footing to help others? What changes can we make in our lives 
Uh, and maybe it's simple things as we study the scriptures on a regular basis and we start to understand them and, and, and our minds are enlightened. And then we are in a position to where we can share what those scriptures mean to other people because we've been enlightened and we've cleansed that inner vessel. We've received that light. And now we're in a position to, from my house, go out and spread that light, spread that cleansing so that others might be inspired to look a little bit deeper or put a little bit more effort or do whatever it is to cleanse themselves, that light on the world and how it goes illuminating everyone else. So I love the dichotomy, and and this is something that we keep going back to, waters that destroy versus waters that purify, Uh, this fire that that cleanses and purifies versus destroying, and these things, the the, the river that, that in Lehi's vision at one time is depicted as filthy sin versus the fountain of living water. I mean, it's it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up. All right, I think that's what I had for 112. Um, 113, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this a little bit quicker. Uh, we're going to go into Old Testament, and we're going to dive into Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Here we get a little bit of snippet in it. I, I don't think I'm going to dive too deep into it right now. Uh, just getting through this, and uh, 114 just mentioned something there. Verse 1, the question is asked. So this is like that question and answers that was given earlier, that Revelation section 77, when he's asking these questions about the book of Revelation. This is answering questions about Isaiah. Verse 1, who is the stem of Jesse? Spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth uh, verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah. And a stem, you have to understand, a stem is is the sprout, the shoot, this this branch that's coming up from Jesse. So you, you can almost think, I mean, just understanding that language and that visualization, if Jesse is the roots, and you have to remember who is Jesse, Jesse is King David's father. So it means somebody who is going to be from the line of Jesse, David, this, the, the Davidic line is who they're, they're speaking of. And, and with that in mind, you can see it in verse 2, Verily thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. And that's why it was so important in the New Testament when you read and they say, here is the genealogy. And it goes from King David all the way down into where Christ is born. Even though he wasn't physically a son of Joseph, um, he he still has this, this Davidic descent, even through Mary, in, in this line, Right? And so it puts in context the story of the Old Testament is Christ's roots, and it is a story of his family tree and how he gets to be where he is. And we look at David not being perfect. We look at this line, Judah and Tamar. And we, we look at all of these weird things that are happening in the Old Testament that we get to dive into next year, which we are super excited wait. for. Yeah, and, and it's showing that perfection can come from imperfection. That even though we might write ourselves off or think that we've screwed up David and Bathsheba, yet from that line, what's produced? Christ. We can get there. That's the message of hope that the Old Testament brings us in connection with the stem of Jesse. So it's a, it's an excellent question. And and they that's, that's kind of how this goes. It talks about the root of Jesse, the stem of Jesse, and, and some of the understanding to Isaiah. I'm sorry I'm passing through this kind of quick. I think we're running close to out of time, right? So let me just go to 114 and finish this up. 
For verse two, for verily thus saith the Lord, that inasmuch as there are those among you who deny my name, others shall be planted in their stead. And that was a big theme back then in Joseph Smith's day when people would say, if I were to leave the church, this church would fall apart. Mm. And when you're doing that, I've been a part of a lot of startups. And in a startup company, you wear a lot of hats and you're doing a lot of different roles and you feel like the success of the company rests on your shoulders, like you're doing so much for it. And if you were to leave, that all of that's going to fall. And and that's how people were feeling in the early days of the church. Here's a startup religion, and these people are doing so much, and everything's resting on their shoulders. And we might feel like, hey, the success of this church rests on me. It's good to be engaged. It's good to be making a difference. But it's also good to remember that this is God's church, not our church. It's not all resting on our soldiers' shoulders. We have a wonderful opportunity to participate in this, to be a part of it, and to move the dial, to push the work and make this rock fill the earth. But if, if ultimately we decide not to, God's work isn't foiled. He will find someone else willing and eager and happy to fill that role and take that work and move it without us. So we need to be grateful for the opportunities that we have and not feel like the whole world rests on us and that we are so important. This is, at the end of the day, still not our church. I did some, uh, um, I do some work with some, you know, some fairly successful artists in some different genres and stuff like that. And I remember I had a meeting one time with one of them, uh, one of the artists who's a good friend of mine. And I just remember he was just like, hey, you know, this train's moving with or without you on it. Do you want to be on this train? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, but like, it's funny because every time I do, I remember this was, you know, we used to read these scriptures about how the Lord, the Lord is, that train's moving, whether the work's moving forward with or without you partaking of the blessings and enjoying the the journey with him, you know. And it's funny when you read that, I always just think, I think of that anecdote that this train's moving, the train was going to move with or without, you know? And I yeah. remember even, I mean, even God told Joseph Smith that he's just like, you don't think I can find somebody else, you know? And it's like, yeah, I know you can. <laughs> so sorry and forgive me and let me try to be better next time. Right. Yep. This train's moving. The train's going to move with or without you on it. And it's wonderful to be a part of it. And I can just say, I can attest that both in this temporal situation that I'm referring to and in the bigger picture, it's more fun to be on the train than not on the train. I'll just throw that out there. Absolutely. It's better to be, it's better to be on the train. Keep that train rolling. All right, that's that's it. That's all I love got. Love it. I love it. I love it. That was, a, that was a fun little discussion. Sorry for any of you out there that just love Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, but but to each their own. And and for any of those, please don't be offended, those of you that love reading the self-help books. What I what I would say is that I hope that you would realize that what that you have within you anything that you ever need to be awesome and you are already awesome and you are already born to be amazing and successful and hopefully you don't feel like you ever have to rely on Tony Robbins to tell you that you <laughs> to tell you what you need to do to do that. 
It does say seek ye wisdom from the best books and uh, be wise as serpents. So when you're out there, there you looking go. for... That's the best way. Just be wise as serpents. That's when you're, all. When you're out there looking for what's going to make you happy... Uh, Wizard of Oz, right? That's what, right. What, what lesson did Dorothy learn? A lot of lessons. First of all, don't trust flying monkeys. It's <laughs> a good lesson to learn. All right. Uh, what are we talking about next week? <laughs> next week is Doctrine and Covenants On 115 through 120. Uh, his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Until next week. See ya. See ya.